Good morning. Please be ready with your Bible in the book of Acts chapter 9, verse 36. Acts chapter 9, verse 36 in just a moment. Here's what we're doing this year. On one Sunday morning a month, 12 sermons devoted to a theme. This would be number 7. In the book of Acts, we're finding out what Christians do. The book of Acts is a valuable resource telling us what one must do to become a Christian, what the response to Jesus should be initially to begin to be his disciple, and then the book of Acts provides additional instruction about what disciples of Christ do after baptism. So I'm calling this series, It's What Christians Do. And we have considered so far this year devotion to the teaching of the apostles, unity, sharing, praise, preaching the gospel, rejoicing. It's what Christians do. And we're going to continue that series this morning. Here's a point I frequently make in classes and sermons about what Christians do. You apply good thought and energy to discover what you can do in the kingdom. And you do that to the best of your ability, always making certain that your work is in keeping with the teachings of the apostles. The Apostle Peter said, I will make every effort. In another place he said, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. That's 1 Peter 4 and verse 10. It may not be the same thing that your fellow Christian does. It may not be something prominent or public in the eyes of men, but Christians apply good thought and energy to discover what they can contribute, what they can do. And they polish and use those skills as good stewards of God's varied grace. That's part of leaving a good spiritual legacy, and it's what Christians do. We're in Acts chapter 9 now. And here is the story of a woman who is mentioned only once in the Bible, Tabitha, translated Dorcas. What a simple but intriguing narrative Luke provides in Acts 9, beginning at verse 36. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, Please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them, and when he arrived, 
They took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed and turning to the body he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon the Tanner. Of primary concern in this context, <clears throat> in Luke's narrative, there is the miracle of resurrection. And as that evidence of God's power was displayed through Peter, those with good and honest hearts, verse 42 says, believed in the Lord, and this spread and people heard of it throughout all Joppa. I'm sure you've heard the book of Acts called the Acts of the Apostles. Or maybe you've heard someone refer to it as the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Well, behind and above this activity, there was and is God. And in that time, God worked in marvelous ways, <clears throat> miraculous ways, as the gospel was being spread through the apostles in that initial stage. Credentials and evidence that these men were authorized messengers of God, speaking and writing the truth of God. So primary, in the history that Luke is documenting here in chapter 9, there is this miracle of resurrection, and it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord when this woman was raised from the dead. Now, inside that story, there is Dorcas, who found her place in serving others with her life. And reminding us of another woman who, according to Mark chapter 14, did what she could. And that's what the Lord expects of me and you. Effort in doing what we are able to do. It will not be exactly the same from person to person. It may not be something that is commonly applauded and seen and praised, but we are charged to be engaged, to serve, <clears throat> to use what God has given us to serve Him and serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. It's what... Christians do. And it says in this account that she was full of good works and acts of charity. There's our topic now, good works. It's what Christians do. I want to start with Dorcas. And then I'm going to cite two other examples from the book of Acts and after that, I'll use a couple of passages to challenge us to be reignited 
to be full of good works. Let's read about Dorcas again in verse 36. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. I get no impression from this account about this Christian that she had any kind of concern that good works interfered with salvation by faith. In fact, nowhere in the book of Acts do we discover anyone advocating for faith without works. Certainly there were people who were baptized but fell into sin, notably Ananias, Sapphira, Simon the sorcerer. But is there a case where someone debated or advocated for faith without works? Yes, there were some who advocated for works without faith. There were Judaizers who celebrated ordinances of the Jewish law and tradition, holding those apart from and above faith in Christ. But I'm unable to discover an instance where a Christian said, Now wait a minute, apostles, salvation is by faith alone. There's no obedience, no good works attached to this. Dorcas was a person of faith who apparently understood that authentic faith in Christ is always active. It takes you right into good works. No debate, no theological scheme to defend or distract. Faith apart from works is dead. Jason read James chapter 2 and verse 26. The controversy in religion today that maintains salvation by faith alone came from men long after the time of Dorcas. She did what she could as a product of her faith in Christ. It's what Christians do. It may not be sowing. I would make a mess of that. It may not be sowing, but there is no citizen in the kingdom with nothing to offer. See, we are charged as disciples of Christ to be engaged, to serve, to use whatever God has given us to find out what we have to offer and get to work and to be so fully committed to good works that when we die, those who serve would have a similar reaction as those in Joppa if we could only get her back. Look at what she did. Full of good works. They said as they stood around that body that God through Peter would soon raise up. What an example of good works. It's what Christians do. I want you to turn a page, turn a page or two to Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11, find verses 19 through 26. Persecution, though it was painful, brought about a scattering outside of Jerusalem. 
in the early days of the spread of the gospel. And there was a good result in that spread as people took the message with them when they moved out of Jerusalem. We're in Acts 11, starting at verse 19. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch for a whole year. They met with the church and taught a great many people, and in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians. Well, I don't know if Barnabas could sow, I doubt it, though there is evidence that Paul, Aquila, and Priscilla could. But if Barnabas could sow, that wasn't what he was really known for. That wasn't his major realm of activity. He found his place among Christians exhorting and encouraging his brethren to be faithful. I have this picture in my head. That is partly what I imagine, but it seems to fit what Luke reports here in Acts 11. People in Antioch heard the gospel, turned from their sins to the Lord, and when their obedience to the gospel was reported back to the apostles and others in Jerusalem, somebody said, we know the man who needs to go there and help them. Where? is Barnabas. We know the man. And everybody is saying, yes, he is the man. And so verse 22 says, they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And then Luke tells us in verse 23, when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. He saw, Barnabas saw, not a job, not a stage to build his reputation, not an opportunity to be better known than others. What did he see? Verse 23 says, he saw the grace of God. How in the world do you see the grace of God? You see people who have accepted God's grace. And you help them continue with steadfast purpose to live by God's grace. You see people who've turned from their sin to God 
by His grace through the cross. You don't see human merit. You see the grace of God. You see people recipients of that grace. And Barnabas had an eye for that. And he came to those people and he said, he said Now you with steadfast purpose ought to stay faithful to the Lord. He exhorted. He encouraged. He helped people remain faithful. It's what Christians do. You find out what you can do, and then you do it with all your might, according to the teachings of the apostles. Please turn a few more pages and find Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18. I'm going to read a little bit to give background from the first part of Acts 18, and then we're going to read something from the last part as we introduce another person known for good works. I don't have time to bring up every person Luke tells us about who was full of good works, but I have another one who illustrates this, and I want to start in Acts 18, verses 1 through 4. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy, and his wife, Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome, and he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade, and he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. Now this sets the stage for the man I'm going to introduce. Others arrive... They reason from the scriptures. We'll talk about that later this year. Good work was done. The gospel was preached. And verse 8 says, Many of the Corinthians hearing Paul believed and were baptized. As this good work was done, opposition came. And then we come to the end of chapter 18. And I want to read verses 24 to 28. Now a Jew named Apollos a native of Alexandria came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the Scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit. He spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. Here was a man, here was a man competent in public speaking. It says an eloquent man, but there's something right alongside that that's more important. Competent in the scriptures. May I pause here to make this point? Eloquence without competence in the scripture has no spiritual value. 
Now, that may sound extreme. Surely I have overstated the matter. I can hear people out in the world asking, what do you mean by that? I'll say again and explain. Eloquence without competence in Scripture has no spiritual value. I believe that. Eloquence without competence in Scripture is just eloquence. It may sound good. You may compliment the speaker for his oral ability and his connection with the audience, but eloquence by itself doesn't lead anybody out of sin to Christ. Eloquence doesn't advance spiritual growth. Eloquence doesn't storm the will. I'm not against good speaking talent and good delivery. I believe getting God's word out into the minds of people demands that we do our best. But the power lies in God's word, not the eloquence of men. Apollos was eloquent but with that eloquence, he had something to say. No, wait. God had something to say. Apollos had this other part of his character and good work. He was willing to learn and accept <clears throat> what he hadn't heard before. Not defensive against truth he hadn't heard before. Willing to learn and be corrected. He, he may not have been a seamstress Perhaps he didn't have the same personality and disposition as Barnabas, but he did what he could. He was full of good works. He had eloquence that he used with competence in the Scriptures. So, sowing, encouraging, debating, only three examples. Ladies and gentlemen, one of the distinctive characteristics of a Christian is activity according to our ability and to the best of our ability to the glory of God. I want to take you to two more passages. Have you noticed, for example, in 1 Timothy? Have you noticed in 1 Timothy? This is from God through Paul to Timothy who is to do the work of an evangelist alongside his personal walk with the Lord. And over and over there's repeated emphasis on good works that flow from our faith in Christ. Two examples quickly. 1 Timothy chapter 2 verses 8 through 10. I desire that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. So men are to be suitably engaged Women are to be suitably engaged. And all of this in verse 10 says this is with good works. Pray. Dress modestly. Avoid anger and quarreling. This is good works. It's what Christians do. Turn a page. Maybe two. The chapter 6 
verses 17 through 19. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to be good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. I wrote an article, I posted on my blog a few weeks ago. And the way a blog works on the internet, you post an article and at the end of the day you can see how many people accessed it. Experienced bloggers will tell you it's about titles and graphics to get people there to read the content. Like the cover of a book, a good title or something like that will draw readers in to get to your content. So I wrote about this passage and here's the title I used. You may be rich. I don't know how many people actually read the content. It was about this passage. But I had an extraordinary amount of people to hit the site when they saw that title. But it wasn't Publishers Clearinghouse. It was based on this passage. If I'm a Christian, if I'm a Christian, no matter how much I have in the bank or how little, I can be rich in good works. It's what Christians do. Review your talents. Assess your abilities. Take a very personal look at your opportunities. And remember what Peter said when he wrote, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. What can you do in the kingdom? To spread the gospel. To encourage Christians. To serve one another. Dorcas was full of good works. It's what Christians do. See, Luke in the book of Acts not only tells us what people did to become disciples. He tells us what disciples did. They walked in good works. And you know what I'm going to say about it one more time. It's what Christians do. Do you need to become a Christian? Let's be standing as we sing. God will.